So, hey, I'm Katie. This is the Writability Podcast. I'm here today with Josh Geist. Josh, you want to take a minute and introduce who you are? Yeah, sure. Who am I? That's big. (laughs) I am an English professor here at COS. I teach mostly English one. My MFA is in creative nonfiction writing with a focus on personal essays. So I have been an essayist for a very long time now, and having opinions about essays is one of my very favorite things to do. Yeah, that is the question we're tackling today, right? What is an essay? The first question I want to ask you, though, when we looked at these topics, you sent me a screenshot from your wife being like, please, Katie, don't do it. (laughs) So my first question is, why did your wife not want us to talk about this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's not that not that my wife didn't want us to talk about this. It's that you just don't deserve that. But she's been married to me for a long while now, and she knows how many opinions I have about essays. And once you get me going, I just, I may keep going. So I would expect to do a lot of editing. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like cracking up. No one's warned me not to talk to someone about something with someone before, but it made me excited. So start telling me what, (laughs) define an essay (laughs) for us. Okay. So I want to start because I'm very unpleasant by asking you, like, how, what do you tell your students an essay? No, that's good. And now I'm like, do I, do I ever, or do I just sort of assume, I feel like I tell students a lot of things essays are not Mm -hmm. in the academic sense. Like when we're doing academic essays, there needs to be some sense of paragraph, some sense of this is like focus. And there's a lot of rules that exist that you might break (laughs) is kind of how I go, which is not a good answer. No, Mm -hmm. it's not a good answer to that question. And I think that's fascinating because it's my job. I also, we have a lot of conversations about how it changes between disciplines, right? Um, Like what is an essay for me might not be an essay for someone else. Yeah. I mean, some sort of focused piece of writing. A a later question is, do we like the essay? And my answer is adamantly no. (laughs) I don't like, I I wish I could teach other things to allow more like flexibility. I actually think, I think the essay is an incredibly flexible form. You know, you said that you tell your students a lot about what essays aren't. I do a lot of that too. I think that there's a lot of unpacking that is necessary. I had a student once who was talking about a paper that we were working on. It was an argumentative essay. It was like it incorporated research and she referred to it as my story. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like your story. And I, you know, I'd seen her paper, like the, what she had written was not a story. But the word story had come to mean a piece of writing. And I think essay is the same way. I don't think I was ever asked to write an essay in bio. I was asked to do like lab reports. I was asked to do research summaries and lit reviews. Like there was the, none of the writing that I had to do in my bio class, which I absolutely hated, was in my mind, like meaningfully an essay. Mm the idea of an essay. And one of the things that makes it difficult as a college writing teacher is that essay is an extremely laden term. The closest thing that I can think of to essay at the moment is haiku. If you ask, you know, the average Western normal person, what is a haiku? They'll say it's a three line poem where the first and last lines have five syllables and the second line has seven syllables. And I'm not a poet, but if you ask somebody who is a poet who writes haiku, Mm -hmm. they'll tell you that like that is the least of the definitions 
definition. There's a lot more conventions. There are things about purpose. There are things about the kinds of images that it has to, that need to be incorporated so that most of the things that you know Westerners think of as haiku are not actually haiku. They just meet one of the requirements. Essays work very much the same way. We have come to think of any piece of writing we do for a class as an essay. I think a lot of students come to college writing with ideas about essays that don't really have anything to do with essays. I hear from a lot of students, and especially like I hear this a lot from new writing center tutors. I hear a lot of new tutors say like, well, students need to learn, you know, the proper way to format an essay or the proper way to structure an essay. And I'm like, well, I have a master's degree in essay writing, and I've been teaching at a college for probably 15 years now. I don't know the proper structure for an essay. If you pin them down, if you get them to like tell you what the proper structure for an essay is, no two of them will have the same proper structure. And I would say it's the same thing with professors. Mm -hmm. Not even just across departments, but like even within our departments. Like if you asked any five professors to give you an outline for an ideal essay, probably two of them would yell at you because that's an impossible abstraction, but probably three of them would give you outlines that say, this is what an essay should look like. And those three outlines would be very different. There are all these different models for like what a paragraph in an essay should look like. The only one that I have ever found any particular use for is the pie paragraph, like point information example. But there are a lot more models for a paragraph in an essay that have these like arcane acronyms that structure out everything. A lot of our students come in thinking that an essay is this rigid thing where you have to sort of follow the formula exactly. You have to go step by step and do things in a particular way. I did a practice assessment with a student paper this week. This paper, if you look at the end of the first paragraph, it has a sentence that looks kind of like a sort of shallow superficial, fluffy thesis. We were talking about the question of whether this essay presents a complex argument. I think in two out of my three classes, the first thing people did was turn to that the end of the first paragraph and there's this really like shallow statement and they're like, well, no, like there's not much here in terms of the thesis. And I said, well, why do you think that's the thesis? Because it was a really good essay with a deferred thesis so that we don't get a full articulation of the claims until we've sort of been through all the evidence and reasoning that has led us to, here's why I'm coming to this conclusion. It was a really effective essay that didn't follow one of those traditional formats. There's an episode of, I believe, a podcast called The Critical Thinking Initiative that pretty much makes an argument about how the structures of essays and where we put thesis statements is just to make stuff easier for people to grade. Mm -hmm. It's easier for a professor to be able to look for that thesis statement as that last sentence of that first paragraph and then ask themselves, does everything else support that line? I know I quoted this before on this podcast, but I will always remember I had a student, sort of like your student saying story, when I was tutoring at Fresno City who hadn't, she hadn't written written an essay in a long time. And I was trying to get her to do the, a thesis statement because I was a tutor in that traditional place. And she kept telling me, like, I don't want to give away the punchline. I love that. Because she was thinking about comedy where you don't give away the punchline in the beginning, right? She was thinking about another form where you save your point till the end. And I mean, if she had been one of my students, I would have probably encouraged and tried to like, okay, let's do it. Let's see what happens if we put that punchline at the end. How are you going to keep your reader engaged? You know, how are we going to help them towards that? Maybe that is my problem is not actually 
the idea of an essay, all that baggage that often is associated with that word that students yeah. are hearing. And that's what I don't like. Like when I ask, like, do I like the essay? I feel like one of my jobs as a teacher is to, in some way, to repair the reputation of the essay. Hmm save my students from that baggage, put it down. This is a place to play. This is a place to explore. This is going back to what we were talking about earlier. But part of the reason that people teach those rigid structures is that they are easy to grade. But I also think that they are easy to teach. And I think that they come from a good place. But there's the old joke about the woman who is preparing dinner and she cuts the end off of the roast before she puts it in the pan. And her daughter says, mom, why'd you do that? She says, I don't know. That's how my mom taught me. And so they call grandma and they ask, why do you cut the end off the roast before you put it in the pan? The grandmother says, well, I don't know. That's how my mom taught me. So they call the great grandmother and the great grandmother says, well, my pan was too small. <laughs> we, yeah. These really specific things like where the lesson learned is not consistent with the intention of what is being taught. So I think the idea of having a thesis statement in the first paragraph is not a bad idea. The idea that your paper should have a purpose, that your essay should have a thing that it's trying to accomplish, that you should know what that is um, by the time the final draft gets turned in, that you should know, here's what this paper is doing, that you're communicating that clearly to a reader. All of those are good things. But what that often gets turned into is last sentence of the first paragraph, I got lucky at my high school and I did not have this teacher, but a lot of my friends for their composition class senior year had a teacher who insisted that all thesis statements must be twofold and three-pronged. You're shaking your head, Katie. Does that I not don't make even know sense what that means. to you? Twofold thesis statement is a thesis statement that begins with an acknowledgement of a complexity or another position, although many think the death penalty is necessary to provide justice comma, and then a three-pronged thesis statement is one that then identifies the body points because and of this, this, and this. Yeah, because oh, of gotcha. this, this, and okay. this, right? So like, it's this really elaborate structure. I think the intention of what's being taught is that our ideas need to be organized, that we need to communicate that organization to our readers, that our readers need to be able to follow our line of thinking through the paper. That we need to have like a naysayer mm -hmm. or like uh, acknowledge that there's other sides of this argument. Yeah, yeah and yet that the existence of other sides of the argument doesn't like obviate our need to take a stance on the issue. So all of these things, I think, are good goals that get sort of distilled into this formulaic way of talking about structure. And then the ideas that drive those decisions get lost. And what remains, what our students bring in with us is this weird arcane thing. There's another essay, and I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, anyway, it's about rules for writing. And it describes them as like we would think of speed limits. So it talks about rules like thesis statements and stuff like speed limits. There is a time and place where you drive the speed limit on the highway, mm -hmm. right? But you are not driving the speed limit if it's snowing. You are not driving the speed limit in the fast lane because people get pissed at you. Um, but it talks about writing rules in the same way. Like they, like some of these rules that you were taught, like they exist for good reason, right? But 
there's a ton of reasons why you might break that rule, depending on the situation. The reason teachers ask you to write a topic sentence for every paragraph and make sure everything in that paragraph supporting that topic sentence is because like they want to make sure you're actually saying something, right? Like that there's a point you're trying to make. But in practice, there's a bunch of times when like you don't really need that topic. Yeah, there's this is about language, but I think it applies about structure too. There's great old article like from 1983, three by Patrick Hartwell called Grammar, Grammars, and the Teaching of Grammar. Like he talks about three different kinds of grammar. So what he calls grammar one is the grammar that lives inside of fluent speakers of a language, which usually we don't know and can't articulate. And then grammar two is the language that linguists use, the grammar that linguists use to describe grammar one. So like linguists look at native speakers of a language and try to describe and represent the way that they use language. And then grammar three is like the grammar that teachers use to try to enforce the rules of grammar too. By the time we get into the hands of teachers, there's a really big disconnect between what actually happens in the way that people use language and the rules that are being taught. And I think that absolutely happens with essays too. The thing about topic sentences, topic sentences are one of my least favorite ideas in writing instruction because writers don't use them. If you look at actual public writing in the wild, they don't have have topic sentences. The If you open any book on your shelf to any paragraph, unless it is a book about the teaching of writing by a formalist, they will not have topic sentences. It's just not a thing that we do. So a lot of those things, I think they end up getting taught because of these ideas. What actually gets communicated to students is a set of rules that doesn't actually reflect anything that published writers do. And I think like the interesting thing is like, I was just talking to a friend of mine who told me that she had just had a conversation with her students about not using five paragraph essays anymore. Right. And a student came after class crying about it, like literally in tears because she was like, if I can't do that, what do I do? But what I notice is like a lot of the time, what will happen is the kind of writing we ask students to do in college, suddenly they'll be stuck and those rules don't work anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're asked to write a 10 page paper, you can't do it in five paragraphs. One of the, my least favorite things that I see them getting stuck on a lot is this idea of a hook in the introduction. Mm -hmm. I hate hooks. Like, I'm like, I don't give a shit about your first sentence. Like it, it really doesn't matter. Like what matters is the rest of the paper, but students will be like, no, but my hook has to catch the reader's attention. And I'm like, nah, it does like, no, don't worry about it. Like just start writing and then we'll Mm -hmm. see what the first sentence says. Well, and again, I think that there is value in that. That same paper that I was talking about, it's an interesting paper. One of the things that I think doesn't work very well about it, it it ends up being an extremely well-researched and an extremely complicated argument about the issue that it's engaging with. But the first two pages kind of just feel like rambling. Like we don't really see any of that deep research and thoughtful argumentation until we get to about page three. And I think that like every time I read that paper, first couple of pages, I'm like, is this going to go anywhere? Is this, I think it is the case that we need to give our readers a reason to continue reading. And we need to do that fairly early on. But the idea of like turning that into a hook that it needs to be one really pithy and catchy sentence at the very beginning, it's extremely reductive. It makes us focus on the wrong thing. Instead of thinking about how do we keep our, who is our audience and how do we keep their attention throughout? Can I tell you another silly story before we move on? 
B.F. Skinner, the famous behavioral psychologist, right? Like he's famous for the Skinner boxes, which are like these little boxes that he made where like he would use to train animals. Like you push a button and you get food or something like that. He had a bunch of boxes set up with pigeons that were getting rewarded for particular behaviors. And accidentally, his grad students left one weekend. Instead of having them set up to reward based on behaviors, they accidentally set it to just reward at a certain period of time, right? So like every five minutes, a food pellet would come out. When they got back, when they looked inside these boxes, all of these pigeons were doing these ridiculous dances because essentially what had happened was whatever it was that they were doing when the food came out, they're like, that's what it wants me to do, right? And so like, I'm waving my wing a little bit. They'd keep waving it and nothing would happen. And so they do it a little bit more elaborately and then the timer would go off. And so there is food. And so now they've got their left wing going like this. And then they're like, well, maybe it was my right foot, right? So they're all doing these crazy dances. They're all completely different because they misinterpreted what was being rewarded. And they ended up with these huge elaborate procedures. And I mean, they're not they're pigeons. They're not geniuses. Skinner talks about this as sort of as pigeon religion, basically, like this sort of process by which we accumulate these rituals based on reinforcement that doesn't actually have to do with the rituals. And I think that that is something that really affects students with essays. Like they get reinforced for these things that they have done that are fairly arbitrary, like that aren't necessarily useful. And then, like you said, they get frustrated when it stops working. Like they get taught, you know, three body paragraphs and it's like, okay, I got to write a 10 page essay. So I have three body paragraphs that are each two and a half pages long. And that becomes unwieldy. Everybody who teaches writing at any level knows that eventually, like you're going to have to write a 15, 20 page paper, probably in your upper division classes. And they know that a five paragraph essay isn't going to work for that. It's strange to me, like how powerful this idea is. Mm. Shifting the topic a little bit. I mean, we're talking about breaking the rules and all of that. Can you think of a time that a student did break rules in the essay in a way that like was amazing to you? Oh, yeah. I had a student, he's my, he's currently my student. I'm not going to give his name. So who just turned in a paper and it was a paper that he was struggling with. You know, one of the rules that get taught about academic writing is that, you know, that it shouldn't be personal, right? We don't, we shouldn't use the first person. So this paper that my student turned in was a paper about procrastination. It was extremely personal he used sort of his own experience to sort of frame and organize his research. Uh, and this is also an experience that is near and dear to my heart. But the premise of the paper was, I have had so much difficulty finding a topic and I have put it off for so long mm -hmm. that I am now going to write about why I put this off for so long. Ultimately, I think it ended up meeting all of the outcomes, even though from a genre point of view, this really isn't the kind of thing that we would usually do in an academic writing situation. But in terms of the things that are in our course outcomes, in terms of the things that we need to see students doing, the writer was writing a personal essay in which he made a complex argument that he supported with good research. It was very much not a five paragraph essay. It was very much not a traditional thesis driven essay, but it, it was absolutely an essay in what I believe is the purest sense. Yeah, that sounds lovely. It, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the one I was thinking about. I have a student who 
she wrote this essay that broke all of the advice that I had given them and like every rule. Yeah, no, I, I really loved it because I was just like, okay, like I am glad I didn't overly accidentally teach you rules that made you think you couldn't do this. I mean, it, I will say though, it's a struggle sometimes in my, in, as a teacher because some people do want more structure mm-hmm. to lean back on, right? I have two things yeah. in response that don't go together. Okay. You may have to hack this up to make it make sense. <laughs> so the first thing that I'm thinking of is my mom who God bless her has the worst sense of direction of any human I have ever known because she just, she just gets lost so easily. I tell the story because my mom, the way that she gets the places that she needs to go is she learns directions. When she would go home, she would go way out of her way because it was like, she was going the simplest route with the fewest turns. It's really limiting Mm. to only be able to play, to go the places where you have a list of turns to take. And I think that's what essays are like. And I think that's what a lot of our students have come away with. The students who want structure, they want directions, right? They want a list of turns to take. That can only get you to the places it can get you. For me as a writing teacher, I don't think my job is to teach students a list of directions. I think my job is to teach students to navigate, Mm. to teach students to read maps, to teach students to vector, to figure out like how to get from here to there. And that's hard because it's decision-making. And I think one thing that I, I do kind of want to do, if it's okay, is to swing back to your first question of like, what is an essay? Because again, like we said, you know, we've talked a lot about what an essay isn't. Yeah. What is an essay? For me, the heart of an essay is the word essay. The word essay comes to us from the French, the old French essay, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. It's A-S-S-A-I, but it means to attempt. Mm. An essay is at its core, an attempt to make sense of something. A lot of essayists will trace the essay back to Montaigne. And if you've never read any of Montaigne's essays, you really should. I recommend Of Smells. And basically like, and this is sort of the difficulty with a lot of historical writers. He was a very rich white man who didn't have a job. So Montaigne, like he he really loved the outdoors and he really loved people and he really loved experiences. And so when he would have experiences that, that he didn't understand, he would try to write his way into understanding. And a lot of Montaigne's essays are very associative. Like they're just like a collection of memories. In the process of writing them, he sort of starts without understanding and kind of writes his way into a greater understanding, if not an answer. And for me, I think that is at the core of what an essay is. It is an attempt to understand. What struck me as you talk of, talked about that, and this is a thing to grapple with, but it sounds like there is a bit of like privilege and of time that is necessary to be actually able to write essays. And I think this is something that I struggle with, with my teaching a lot with when there's so much going on in my students' lives, how do I make them have the time and energy? I was listening to some, some webinar recently, and they were talking about like how often like curiosity is a privilege, like the chance to have the time and space to do something, not to say any of that is meaningless, but Mm -hmm. if your kids needed food, it would be meaningless, right? Like in comparison, it would be meaningless. So it's a really interesting thing to me and something to grapple with when I think about what I'm asking students to do and the kind of essays I want to see, how like privilege does factor in to your ability 
to do that like wandering, to do that attempt, right? And how it may, if you have all those things, if you're worried about your kids eating or paying the rent, like it may be much easier or to want to fall back into a five paragraph essay or something that can just like help you get it done so you can focus on the things that have to be more important with your surroundings at that moment. You are right. And like, I think that actually reminds me of something that you were talking about earlier. You know, that question of like, how do we teach students to sort of break these rules and to experiment? Because I think that is also a site of privilege. There's research in composition that sort of points out that the way that we perceive rules as readers is very connected to the way that we perceive our students. And so if we have a white native speaker that is breaking some of the rules of the essay, they probably are going to be looked at as innovative. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we have a student of color who maybe English is their second language, or maybe they don't have the same fluency with written English that they do with spoken English, if they break that same rule, it's going to be seen as a lack of knowledge. The enforcement of rules is not even handed hmm. like the question of who is allowed to experiment is a question in part like in the same way that curiosity is a privilege like freedom to experiment is in some ways a privilege the other thing that i find interesting in that discussion is that i think a lot of the time that students because of learning about things like the five paragraph essay think that an essay needs to just be like a, a report of their results of their searching, right? But really you're showing that there can be exploration that happens in the development of that essay, right? I think actually you're describing a better case scenario than what a lot of our students get because you're talking about like presenting the results of what you found, which still implies that we are doing our research from a position of inquiry, mm -hmm. right? That we don't know the answer in advance. But I think a lot of our students get taught about essays that the first thing you're going to do is write, write your the thesis, thesis statement, yeah. right? So I figure out my opinion and then I go out and look for sources that support what I already think. A lot of papers that have terrible research that's part of why is because they have a position that is maybe untrue or maybe problematic or that they haven't really examined carefully and they go out and look for confirmation and the confirmation comes from sources that aren't being rigorous because the position they're starting from isn't actually supported. But like, okay, so what advice, so what do they do? How do they write an essay? How do you, how do you do what we're describing? Maybe to get there, let me tell you what I tell my tutors about this. Our tutors, the writing center tutors, I think are in a really difficult spot because they have teachers, like their students have all these different teachers who have all these different assumptions and expectations about what essays should look like and be. And many of them are dealing with like, you know, even whether I'm there or not with my pro essay propaganda, anybody who's had a different writing instructor than you, especially when you are a college student, if you sit down with them and look at their paper and look at their teacher's expectations, all often what our tutors are thinking, like this is what an essay should be, is different from what the student's teacher is saying an essay should look like and be. That's a tough spot to navigate. What I say to the tutors is that the instructor is part of the rhetorical context of the writing mm. situation, especially they're the ones who are going to be evaluating or grading us. So I think as a student who's listening to this, if you are listening to my insane ramblings about the fluidity of the essay as a form and thinking like, my teacher is never going to allow that, I'm sorry to hear that. Come take my classes and uh, we can play with essays together. But your teacher is part of the rhetorical situation. Just because 
because we know that there are other options doesn't mean that it isn't sometimes wise to follow the rules. You were talking earlier about breaking rules and it made me think of Shakespeare. I am not a big Shakespeare guy, but if you look at any of his sonnets, sonnets are, are poems that have very rigid formal structures that are very specific in the way that they are supposed to work. If you look at any given sonnet of Shakespeare's, you will find that he breaks at least one of those rules somewhere in the poem. Following the rules most of the time is sort of what gives him the credibility and the freedom to break those rules in the places where it is helpful for him and it helps him accomplish his purpose. So I think my general advice on the question of like, how do I go about starting an essay? If you think about your rhetorical situation, your rhetorical context, are there rules that govern what you're supposed to be doing? Follow those rules to the extent that you can so that you can have freedom to break them at places where maybe you think it would be extra valuable. And I think it helps to like have those conversations with that teacher too. Don't just assume you know what those rules are that mm -hmm. they, you think are governing their thoughts. Because I occasionally will get questions from students like, can I use I? Because they think they might be able to. And I'm like, of course you can. Or, you know, I get a lot where they'll start doing their research and then thing they'll be like, Katie, I thought one thing and now I think another thing. And I'm like, yeah, you're allowed to argue that. That is mm -hmm. like completely within the realm of what's okay. But like, I think a lot of the time when you're operating in those rules, a lot of the time you are carrying old assumptions about like what you think that teacher wants because of your yeah. other experiences in classes. So if you go into Josh's class or my class, having experienced really rigid forms, you may like need to ask questions about what is possible, right? The more communication with your professor, the better. They will they'll tell you what rules they think are unbreakable and what rules they would love for you to break. Right. And I also think that that actually does help with that whole thing about like us assuming it's a mistake. Like I've had this before with students where like, I'll be like, Oh, where, why'd they do that? This is not working. Like this is breaking a rule in a way that doesn't make sense. And then they'll explain their choice to me and I'll be like, oh, okay, let's do it like this. Like you can do that. But like, if you change just one thing, then we'll know why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those conversations are helpful. Yeah. And I think like that idea of purpose is really important. You know, again, if you look at any given Shakespearean sonnet, if he breaks a rule, there's a reason. Like he's trying to accomplish a certain effect or he's trying to, you know, when I was talking about the sort of the privilege of rule breaking, I think that privilege is in the assumption like who does the reader assume is making a choice versus who do they assume is making a mistake or an error? Mm -hmm. Like talking to your teacher about your purpose for doing something is a really good way to communicate like, hey, this is a purposeful choice that I am making. And often if like it may be a choice that we have to say no to. I have a student this semester who came to me early on and was like, I really love footnotes. Can I use a lot of footnotes? Um, and I'm like, I also really love footnotes. And no. No. I love footnotes too. And I talked to him about a bunch of things that I love that use footnotes experimentally. But I said, in this class, we're writing in MLA style. MLA style doesn't really use footnotes. That kind of digressiveness, it's not uncommon in academic writing, but it's more challenging and sort of outside of the scope of this class. But we can have conversations about like, are there spaces where you can experiment in this way? Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And that's, again, come talk mm -hmm. to us. I feel like every one of these podcasts is just like, talk to us, talk to a writing center. Or talk to a librarian like you know there's so much support 
any last advice for students? I feel like there's so much more to cover. Yeah. This is why your wife warned me. I know. You, you I told you. <laughs> I, okay. This is my last dumb thought because this is a thing that a friend said to me because I mentioned that I was going to be having this conversation with you. And I said, like, what do you guys think about essays? And my friend said, here are my thoughts about essayism. And the phrase essayism just like stuck in my head. I love it so much. So I'm changing the way that I identify. I am and will always be an essayist at heart. But now now what I mean by that is not just that I am a person who writes essays, but that I am a person who advocates for and supports the philosophy of essayism. <laughs> I am a fundamentalist essayist. I am an evangelical essayist. Write essays, explore your world, make sense of your life, document your confusion. Yeah, I think the ability to like learn and grow through writing is something that I know for me through grad school um, and through undergrad, I became the person I am today through writing right mm -hmm. like and josh is adamantly nodding his head like i think with my question of privilege and like the time for it and all of that like for me writing and exploring the world around me like helped me become who i am and get me to where i am and question and change who i am when necessary okay very last question you ready mm -hmm. for it i always ask people what are you learning right now generally in life or academically. Um, yeah. What are you learning? I am learning a lot about video editing mm. and animation right now. I've been working on this essay for months and months, even looking back at things that I did at the beginning of the process. I have learned so much in making this video. I jokingly referred to my, or told my friends that this is like my undergraduate thesis, like, <laughs> because I'm doing so much with animation that I've never done before. I'm doing so much with image manipulation that I've never done before. Mine is gardening right now. I'm really trying not to kill plants. It's been a nice like stress relief. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Josh. This was lovely. Absolutely. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Thank you.